well, good morning again. <laughs> so as you know, we've been going through the book of Jonah. Today is the last day of Jonah. Um, and it's interesting, I tell Dan, I said, we could teach, Jonah's got so much going into it, we could have taught it for months. I mean, there's just so many messages that are, that are in the book of Jonah. Um, and so last week, you know, we looked at Jonah, his resistance to his calling to go to Nineveh. Um, and he tried unsuccessfully to run away from God. That's sort of a pattern. It, yeah, running away from God is usually unsuccessful um, or fatal. And um, <laughs> the, uh, so he finally recognizes that God is sovereign, that running away from him is just pointless, and he finally goes to Nineveh, and he finally does what he's told to do. Um, and you know Jonah's thinking, he goes, why Nineveh? Come on, God, why send me to Nineveh? I don't want to go to Nineveh. You know, how could you send me to Nineveh? You know, here I'm a prophet of the chosen people, and you're going to send me to the Nineveh of all these pagans, all these Gentiles, all these, these, these not only, not only they're, they're, they're bad, but they've been mean to us. You know, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians have put the northern kingdom into exile. They've been really nasty to them. And, and, uh, and, and so Nineveh, uh, Jonah's got just no interest in going to Nineveh. Um, but we know that God told Jonah, yes, even them. Yes, you're going to go to Nineveh. You know, even they will repent and they'll accept me. And, and we saw that how, you know, everyone needs to repent and accept God. Everybody. And we need to be able to carry that message out to everybody. Um, so, you know, again, Jonah goes to Nineveh, eight simple words, 120,000 Ninevites accept the Lord. And... Um, it's, it's um, great. I mean, you'd think that Jonah would just be absolutely ecstatic. It was really effective. Um, they heard God's words through the prophet. They repented. They dressed in sackcloth. That's sort of like burlap. You know, dressed in burlap and sat in ashes. Uh, they were just really, really made themselves uncomfortable. And then they hoped that God would relent, right? They weren't even certain that that was enough. But they hoped that that would be enough. And in fact, God does um, relent. And we know that God's word does not return void. When it's been sent out, it accomplishes its purpose for which it's been sent. Nineveh had 40 days to repent. Northern kingdom of Israel had 200 years to repent and didn't. Um, and they were warned about the consequences of not repenting, and yet they still chose not to. We read in, in Amos chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. For on that day I will punish Israel's transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and they will fall to the ground. I will also smite the winter house together with the summer house. The houses of ivory will also perish. And the great houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. So the Ninevites are given 40 days and they repent, and God, recognizing the sincerity of their repentance, relents, and Jonah is angry. Then Jonah takes what's going to be a front row seat for what he thinks is going to be the destruction of Nineveh, and of course, nothing happens. And, God, and Jonah is angry. So we'll pick up in um, chapter 4, verse 4, and the Lord says, do you have a good reason to be angry? So... Jonah's really getting put on the spot here, right? Jonah has no good excuses for what's going on, and God knows it. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting in Scripture when I see God asking somebody a question. 
Now, it's interesting, we ask a question because we don't know the answer, but God asks a question because you don't know the answer. God already knows the answer. He's helping you discover the question and the answer. Um, right? So, you know, Adam, where are you? Adam, who told you you were naked? You know, <laughs> God knows what happened, but they need to understand what they did. Um, same thing here with Jonah. Jonah says, hey, you need to figure this out. You know, Jonah needs to repent. Jonah's attitude sucks. And Jonah needs to repent. And God knows that. God's saying, Jonah, even you, you have to do the same thing. You need to repent. So as we discussed last week, the northern kingdoms exiled to Assyria because all of their kings are wicked, right? They had 19 different kings of, of nine different dynasties, and they're all wicked. And finally, God gets tired of their stuff and delivers on his promise and sends them um, to the Assyrians. And he's tired of their empty actions, sinful hearts, sinful acts. And, and we look at that, this, this, this idea of empty worship. You know, showing up at church on Sunday is what you're supposed to do, but it's not like a checklist. It's not like, hey, I'm good for the week, I did my hour and a half. No, it's a life. Christian is a life. It's a way of behaving. You know, and if you just show up, pay your tithe, and then treat people like poorly, you're not Christian. That's not how Christians behave. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I changed my mind. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, my background is such, I have to think my words through because I was 33 years not a Christian and I, was, uh, I flew fighter jets for uh, quite a few years and so I picked up a colorful vocabulary. Um, so, uh, we should continue. Amos chapter 5, uh, verse 23 to 27. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you present me with sacrifices and grain offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried along Sikuth, your king, and Kuyu, your images, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will make you go into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. God is a jealous God. He will not accept his worship being given to something else, anything else, other gods, stuff, whatever. He's a jealous God. He won't accept that. And he wants a repentant heart. He wants a person to recognize what they're doing and to repent of that. He wants to be able to show his mercy and grace, right? He is slow to anger and full of mercy and grace. And the northern kingdom, though, had been in disobedience for almost 200 years. And God finally says, enough, enough. I'm going to hand you over and you will get, you will get what, uh, a lesson, some training. Uh, and Jonah's angry. So again, he asked Jonah, why are you angry? Because really it's not consistent for a good person to be upset when something good happens, right? 120,000 Ninevites accept the Lord. Jonah should have been ecstatic. He should have seen God's work in the people and been ecstatic, and he's not. So Jonah needs to repent. Yes, Jonah, even you. You know, you're not exempt from this repentance thing. God's goodness is pervasive. It's what he is. Uh, I think of Psalm 145, 8 to 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and his mercies are over all of his works. Like I said, 
I was 33 when I came to know the Lord. And he was persistent. I mean, I heard the message. I mean, I went to church. I heard the message over and over and over and over again. It just never rang. And then one day, boom. And I know God was there the whole time. I didn't think he was there the whole time. I didn't hear it. But there was a point at which he never gave up. He knew I love this person. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to continue to reach out to this person. And that's true of all of us. God loves us all. God wants us all to repent and get to know him and to, and to make him our God. It's interesting if you compare Jonah's response to God's question in Jonah 4.4 to Cain's response to God in Genesis 4.6. If you remember, Cain and Abel have to bring offerings to God. And God is not happy with Cain's offering. And we're not exactly sure what it was about Cain's offering that wasn't good, but he wasn't happy with it. So we read in Genesis 4, 6 to 7, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So Cain faced a choice, right? He could have persisted in the goodness that he should have persisted in. Or he could allow his anger to lead him to sin. And of course, we know what happened, right? Cain went out and killed his brother Abel. So instead of choosing to persevere in goodness, he decides to nurse that anger. And that anger that's being nursed gave rise to sin. It stews within you. And that becomes your focus. And you think about getting even, getting revenge. And that's not what God says. God says, give it, let it go. Don't hang on to it. So Jonah's anger leads him toward, we're going to ask, does, does Jonah's anger lead him toward God or away from him? Right? So we see the answer, of course, in verse 5. Jonah 4, 5 says, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So Jonah runs away from God again, goes over to the east side of the city, decides, I'm going to build me a shelter and see what happens. Right? In those days, the uh, typical shelter there would have been branches and, and sticks and stuff just to give you a place out of the sun, out of the wind. So God asks him the question, and he walks away from God. I'm not going to answer you. He walks away. He's pouting. And it's really a revealing comparison, right? Because in this city, we have the Ninevites who are in sackcloth and ashes, repenting of their behavior, hoping that God will not destroy them. And we have Jonah sitting in silence outside the city walls, hoping that it will get destroyed. One is in tune with God's wishes, one is not. Jonah wants justice, not mercy, but God delivers justice and mercy to Nineveh. And he delivers grace and mercy to Jonah. Verse 6. So God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. 
So in the same way that God produced a great fish that swallowed up Jonah from the sea and protected him from drowning in the ocean, God once again reaches out and puts up a plant to shelter him. I titled today's message, Yes, Even You, because God loves everybody and he loves Jonah. And he wants to show Jonah that God's grace and mercy is still there. Yet Jonah is rejecting God's call and tries to run away. First he tries to run away to Tarshish, then he goes to the east side of the city. He's not happy with this whole situation happening, right? God stops Jonah's escape toward Tarshish by producing this storm. The sailors throw Jonah overboard to save themselves even though they really don't want to do it. God sends this fish to rescue him. Jonah gives up fighting and finally goes to Nineveh. And all that Jonah has done, you would think, God would say, hey, I'm done. I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been surprised if we went to verse 6 and it said, God, tired of Jonah's crap, smited him on the hill. <laughs> we just said, okay, that makes sense. You know, but that's not what happened. That's not what happened, right? God says, even though I'm justified to wipe you off the earth, no, instead I'm going to bring up a plant that's going to shade you and give you comfort. And Jonah is extremely happy about the plant. You'd think Jonah would be happy about the grace and mercy of God being shown to him and, of course, to the Ninevites, but he's not. He's happy about the plant. I mean, what a dichotomy, right? God's gracious provision for Jonah gives Jonah great joy, but God's gracious provision for Nineveh makes Jonah angry. And the sad part is the plant is the high point of the entire story for Jonah. But that's short-lived. Right? We read in verse 7, But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. So Jonah's under this huge plant. Now you can imagine this. He's in a shelter big enough for him to hide from the sun and the wind. And this plant is big enough to cover this entire shelter to shade Jonah from the um, sun. And we don't know what kind of plant it was, but it had to be a you know, pretty good sized plant. But we know it's large enough to provide him with shade. And then this worm shows up and starts gnawing on the plant. And Jonah doesn't do anything. Now, you thought he could have called Truly Nolan. They'd have come, killed the worm, and not only killed the worm, but ensured that no other worms would show up. But he doesn't. He doesn't even pluck the worm off the plant and squash it. You know, when I was a kid growing up, we used to have tomatoes. And we used to hit these, and they were huge worms that would get on these tomatoes. And they were, I mean, I was a kid back then, but they seemed monstrous. They were huge. They were green. They had this big white stripe on them. And then they had this horn on the back of them. Made me convinced they were from the devil. But anyway, we would have to go into the garden and pluck these worms off of them. You know, because if you didn't, they'd eat the tomato plants. And if they ate the tomato plants, you'd get no tomatoes. You know, it's pretty simple, right? And so, and it was, they were easy to find. All you had to look is the part of the tomato plant that's just getting wiped out. Because these things just go. I mean, and they just chomp, 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 you know, and they're, they're continuous. They don't stop eating. They just eat, you know. And so we would have to go and pluck all these things out. And I always thought it was interesting, the chickens wouldn't eat them. Of all the other worms and insects that we could catch in the farm, the chickens would eat them, but they wouldn't eat these things. So I don't know what they're made of, but they weren't something chickens like. Um, 
So yeah, we have to go gather all these things and squash these worms. But no matter what else was going on for your day, I mean, you may have sports, you may have a meeting, you may have something else to do, you still had to go out to the garden and pluck worms because you couldn't put it off for a couple of days while you get something else done or you'd come back, you'd have no tomatoes, right? And so we have Jonah, and you're thinking, where's this going? So you have Jonah, <laughs> Jonah is sitting under this vine or this plant He's really ticked off at God. He's waiting for Nineveh to get destroyed. This worm shows up, and all he had to do was like reach back, grab the worm, step on it, and keep on going where he's going. But no, he is so overwhelmed with his anger that he doesn't even kill the worm. Right? So this little bit, we don't know how big the worm is, but it can't have been too big. I mean, I mean, them cat, those tomato worms were huge. But the, we, he doesn't do anything. And this worm just eats the plant till it dies. And you're thinking, how could you be so focused on that that you miss this opportunity and it destroys your shelter and destroys your joy? But we do the exact same thing. We let things in our life that so tick us off that we get so focused on that we miss everything else. We miss it on our joy. You know, many of you know, I just left a job I'd had for 21 years. Um, We started this business 21 years ago from the ground up. It was a founding. We built it up to a $60 million semiconductor factory. We uh, were merged with another company. They took over, and it became so miserable, I quit. And I'll be here to tell you, I'm ticked. The people that were involved, the reason I left, I have resentment for. I have anger for. But I can't let that run my life. And it's difficult. I'm not telling you it's something easy you can just set aside. It's not. After 21 years, I'm ticked. But you've got to let it go. You know, you've got to give it to God. You've got to give it to God as many times as you need to give it to God to really let it go. You know, I find myself, I go out and work on my car, turn on Christian music and all this kind of stuff, so I don't think about it. Really, because that's the problem, is you think about it. You think about it, you get angry. And that's where Jonah is. He's in there, he's thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Come on, God, smite Nineveh. And he's ignoring everything else that's going on. And he's giving up on the joy in his life that he could have had he just let it go and been grateful for the fact that God showed mercy and grace to the Ninevites. You know, we hear it said that lack of forgiveness and holding on to resentment is like drinking poison yourself and hoping it kills somebody else. Because um, it does, it just wipes you. And the person that you're angry at could probably care less. I'm quite convinced that the individuals involved in this whole situation are glad I'm gone. Um, so they could care less about the whole thing. So me being angry at them does nothing uh, except ruin my day. So God has given Jonah every opportunity to repent. He has been gracious and merciful all the way through this whole process with him, running away and trying to get away and the big fish and all this. He's been really good. Well, he gets tired of that. And he says, okay, uh, Jonah, so we tried to get this the easy way, but you're about to have a TBF moment. Um, TBF is a two-by-four moment. So <laughs> he's about to get enlightened. <laughs> what? <laughs> so verse 8, when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Now, the east wind that blows up off the desert, um, and it's, 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 if you look at the uh, geography and stuff, these huge winds blow in off of northern Africa 
and, and through the Middle East and up into Europe. And they're called Sirocco's. And they'll run at 100 miles an hour plus, and they're extremely hot, and they're laden with sand. So they rip through, you'd imagine, it's like a giant sandblaster just rips through stuff. So that is what God has decided to give to Jonah. Um, and this isn't new. In the Old Testament, it talks about the, this east wind as this process of, of justice, of, of, of uh, cleansing in a sense. Um, and, it, and it's in lots of places, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Amos, Hosea. Uh, the one I'm going to read is from Hosea chapter 13, verses 15 and, six, uh, verses 15 and 16. Though he flourishes among the reeds, an east, wind, an east wind will come, the wind of the Lord coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry and his spring will be dried up. It will plunder his treasury of every precious article. Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. Thus will fall by the sword, their little ones will be dashed to pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. So this is the second time we see Jonah being sort of punished by a wind, right? The first time he's on his ship, and this great wind blows up a storm. Um, now a second time here, we see this scorching wind come up um, from the heat of the desert. And Jonah's reply indicates that he once again seeks oblivion. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Now Jonah's words speak volumes, right? He is so angry, he would just as soon die as have to repent of his behavior. He is willing to die versus recognize that he is wrong and that he needs to repent to God. He's angry at God for relenting against the Ninevites. He's angry at God for taking away his source of joy, the plant, even though he didn't do anything he could have done to stop the loss of the plant. He doesn't appreciate that God brought him the plant in the first place, and now he's angry that God is bringing the scorching heat of the Sirocco. But realize, all of his anger is self-centered on Jonah. Right? There's no righteous anger there. This is all self-centered anger. Edwin Good writes, from Jonah's perspective, how can a man function with a God like this? He who favors his enemies and who, as soon as he's being given on little thought to his servant's comfort, probably makes life miserable for him again. This perception of Jonah is that, gosh, this God's being bad to me. I mean, the one little thing I had planned, he took away from me, and he's just doing all these things that are against me. He loves my enemies. I can't stand this guy. Jonah's got it all backwards. Jonah could not accept the law of grace that works in favor for everyone, including his enemies. And yet he finds life without grace to be unacceptable. He's angry that God took his grace away, took away his mercy and gave him justice. And yet that's exactly what he wanted to happen to Nineveh. God not to give grace and mercy to Nineveh, but bring justice. So Jonah wanted a God that was partial, like Jonah. 
not a God that was loving and kind and gracious to everyone. You know, the, and we talked about this last week a bit, this, this perception that I'm the only one that knows the right God and everybody else is wrong and he should be like me. That's not the God we have. Thank goodness. We have a God that loves everybody. Every single human being is created in the image of God. Everyone. Every single human being is precious and valuable in God's sight. And God wants every single human being to repent, to accept him as their God, to accept Jesus Christ as the Savior, and to worship him. Everybody. So finally, we see in verses 10 and 11, uh, kind of a stunning rebuke of Jonah. Verse 10, then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have had compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between right and left hand as well as many animals? So Jonah's concerned about the plant that sheltered him and God is concerned about the 120,000 Ninevites who don't know him. Underlying this question is that God knows Jonah should have the same pity for Nineveh that God has. Just as we should have the same care and concern for every human being we interact with, just like God does. But we know we don't. Sometimes we let anger and resentment get in our way of caring for those people the way that God does. I had a friend long ago said, when you're really, really, really mad at somebody, pray for them. You can't keep praying for someone's good and hate them at the same time. Just, it won't work. Inevitably, you'll let it go. So God reminds Jonah that he didn't labor for the plant. It was a gift from God. And that Jonah needs to understand that the essence of love is to labor for something and to make it grow. That God isn't going to let go of Jonah. Of course, we don't know if Jonah ever gets it. So God recognized that Nineveh represented the capital of the strongest threat to Israel, and yet they were ignorant of him. Their ignorance provoked God to pity, and he reached them through a reluctant prophet, Jonah. Yes, Jonah, even them. But then God tries to reach a resistant and reluctant Jonah. Yes, Jonah, even you. Jonah, again, never seems to get it. Again, we need, to select, we need to accept that God loves us all and all of mankind, that we all are created in his image, and that Jesus Christ died for all of us, even them, even you. We read in, in Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, Jesus is looking out over Israel or Jerusalem and realizing that there will be those that will not accept him and it will lead to their destruction. Verse 41, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw you up on a bar- will throw up a barricade against you, surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Again, Jesus loved the people of Jerusalem. 
but they refuse to recognize him. They refuse to accept him as their savior. And the consequences, of course, was the destruction of Jerusalem. We can't allow anger, hurt, resentment to take our eyes away from Christ, God, to steal our joy. We can't let the way we feel toward others take away our responsibility to share the love of God with them. And I know that's hard to do. I'm not making this sound like this is some, you know, easy thing. It's not. We're human. Um, I can see from nodding heads, people know what it's like to be angry enough at somebody that you really hope for bad, not good. And yet we, we can't let that sit. We can't let that simmer, right? We have to give it to God. As far as we know, Jonah never figures it out. Don't be Jonah. Lord, we just are so grateful that you are who you are, that you are always loving, that you're always full of grace and mercy, that you're always reaching for each of us. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'll open up our hearts to your healing power, your ability to, to accept the, um, our iniquities and to forgive us if we repent. Uh, we are just so grateful that we have salvation in you. Again, open our eyes to those that we may be holding something against and are um, just not treating the way we should. We just thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.